Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. As Brother Russ was talking, I, I was thinking about yesterday, like many of you, it was sort of like an oppressive day. And uh, I had a lot of stuff I needed to do inside as far as preparation for this morning and this afternoon and for Wednesday. And so I ended up staying in most of the day, but it looked so beautiful outside. My computer was right next to the patio doors, and I said, it looks so nice. And I, I would go out and stand there, and when I opened the door, you know what? It was like getting hit in the face. It reminded me of the days when I worked in a foundry. I, I, but I began to realize how significant that is to the day we're living in, the weather that we're experiencing. I didn't have much energy to want to even do anything outside. I was able to do a few things, but I found the heat was oppressive enough to stifle my energy. It drained me. It was like, I don't want to do anything out here. It's pretty to look at. And I began to realize that Jesus told us the same thing would happen in the day that we're living in. He said, because iniquity, or like humidity, or the dew point reference, because iniquity shall abound, the love or the energy of love in many people will wax cold. They'll lose their, their fervency, their spiritual unction and energy because of the atmosphere of sin all around us. Now, if you can relate the oppressive humidity and the dew point to how you don't have energy to perform outside, the same thing is happening in our world. As sin becomes more prominent and oppressive, it stifles our zeal. That's why we have to shake ourselves up. We need to come into a place like this, and we need to hear the anointed word of God to quicken our spirit and keep us active. And then I know this Lord has a sense of humor as we are singing one of our choruses this morning. It says, I am free. Well, the title of my message um, is quite interesting. Um, it, it's, are you a prisoner of Christ or a prisoner of fear and failure? Now, I'm going to talk about this morning that even though God has opened the door to your cage, you're like that parakeet. He's opened the door to freedom to set you free from sin. You still are a bond slave to him. So when people say I'm free, some people look at it and say I am free to do whatever I want. I am a free moral agent. I can set my own rules up. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. The Lord opened the door for freedom against those things in darkness that bind you. But Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. In other words, I am under his tutelage, his authority, and I am his servant, and I have surrendered my freedom to him. So you, when you say you're free, just understand you're free from sin, but you're bound to God. I want to go back and I'm going to look at uh, some of the prison uh, letters that Paul wrote. Uh, he's writing the one I'm looking at in Philippians. So I'm going to be in the first chapter to start with. 
This letter that he wrote to the Philippians was written around 62 AD. Now, if you go back and you try to find the year that Paul was martyred, uh, most people believe he was martyred in 64 AD, right after the great fire in Rome. And we're all, and that's a story in itself. Many believe that Nero set Rome on fire and he blamed the Christians and there was a a renewed uh, persecution. So Paul wrote this letter two years before he died. He's in custody when he writes his four prison letters. Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. All those letters were written while he was in bondage. See, even though Paul was bound, the word was free. Even though I may be restricted or in chains, God's word still goes forth and renews people's hope in God. Let's start by reading verse 1 of Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I like the way he puts that. Not only in knowledge, but in insight, in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now notice what he says next as he writes from prison. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And what Paul is saying, that's what this is all about. That's the whole reason that we're here, to go forth and fulfill the great commission and preach the gospel. So what he's saying is, these chains are fulfilling the commission of God. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim 
the gospel without fear. Oh, what was meant for the church's hurt has only fired it up. God has used these chains to cause others to become bold and fervent in the message that we preach. So were the chains a blessing or a curse to the church? It was a blessing to the church. It was a, a revival that was starting in a greater measure from a Roman prison. Now if I go to Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 1. God has a wonderful plan for you guys, for all the Gentiles. He writes um, in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, that's me, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Now, I want you to look at the word mystery. Paul was an exceptional individual. Above and, above and beyond the other 11 apostles. Because Paul received divine revelation from God. Now the other 11 walked with the Lord and sat under his tutelage. But remember, Paul went after his conversion went out into the desert, and for three years, God gave him divine revelation, things that others had not yet received. And now when I look at that verse, um, that is my, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, I want to tell you, insight or revelation usually comes through oppression and persecution. You really don't know how good your antacid is working until you stop taking it. Sometimes we have divine revelation in struggle which was not made known to people in other generations that is, as it has now been revealed by the, the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul's life is his greatest epistle. You know, he wrote these letters, but his life was his greatest epistle. And your most powerful letter to the world is your life. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I really love to preach. I love to feel the anointing of God. Many times when I'm speaking, I, I, it's, it's enthralling. But my messages are not as powerful as my life to others. When I look at 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 1. He's, the Corinthian church was his problem child, by the way. <laughs> they were always getting into trouble. And he writes, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Hello? Are you starting to pat yourselves on the back and talk about all the great things you've done? Are we doing that again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, yourselves, are our letter 
written on our hearts and known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter for Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. So when I look at a Christian and they say, I'm insignificant, I don't have any real powerful ministry, I feel like I'm just filling space in the church, I want you to understand that you're a letter when you leave this building and everyone's reading about your relationship with God and they're seeing just how powerful God is through your life. You are a living epistle read of all men. And sometimes people don't think people are watching. I have to tell you this story. We were talking the other day. I was talking with uh, some people I was working with, and we were talking about embarrassing circumstances as children. And my brother may not remember this, but when we were about six or seven years old, we went to a little Methodist church. Matter of fact, it's the same building that Parkway started in. And... I'm, I'm trying to think of the, there was a movie that had just come out and it, it was um, about two girls that were in a camp and they, you'll remember the song because everybody remembers the song they sang in it, Hedo Mada, Hedo Fada, Here We Are, Camp Renata, da 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 da. Fields, I think, was one of the actors in that. But anyways, that's not important. After the service was over, everybody went out into the vestibule and I was left in the sanctuary. And I was a typical six-year-old kid. I went up behind the pulpit and I was going to be the preacher and the singer and everything. And I didn't know that they had the sound piped out into the vestibule area. So they're all out there milling around and I'm up at the pulpit singing, Ed Omada. Hello, Father. And they all just cracked up, and I was really embarrassed. I didn't realize that everybody was listening to me. Now, I said that for a reason. Everybody's watching you. They're going to see to who you belong. Do you belong to the world, or do you belong to God? Do you serve fear or do you serve the Lord Jesus Christ through faith I think in Ephesians 3 and 1 I, I, I think Paul sums it up so well when he says I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ I'm bound to him and he's not saying that he couldn't leave his prisoner means that I am attached to him I, don't, I, I am bound to my commitment with him, and it's a secure feeling. Now, Paul never looks, and this is interesting, as Rome as being his captor. He didn't say that I'm here in Rome, I'm the prisoner of Nero. Now, you've got to get this concept, because some of you are making a mistake. You're, you feel that you're a prisoner to your situation. I am bound by my job. Oh, I can't get away from it. But Paul never says the thing that's causing him oppression is as he's, he's bound to. He says, I'm not a prisoner of Nero. 
I'm a prisoner of Jesus because I preach that all things work together for the good of those who love God to them who are called according to his purpose. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I serve Christ, he leads me where I should go. And if it is like Psalms 23, in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm still his prisoner. I'm still fulfilling his will. What if it's a hospital bed? What if it's a funeral? I'm still the prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of death. I'm a prisoner of life and resurrection and hope. See, we get all screwed up. I, I can't even turn the radio on anymore. I thought I could listen to the loose occasionally, but it has gotten so warped that they've called evil good and good evil and light darkness and darkness light. I can't, I can't even believe these people are sane. I, 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 I want to say to them, are you for real? Is everyone crazy? Because the world is bound to oppression and darkness, and in the dark, there's no visibility. But we're not of the dark, we're of the light. That's why revelation comes to those who serve the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and in me there is no darkness. In light is revelation. If you're in Christ, you see things others don't. And it bothers you when they don't see it your way. You know, I, I look at Paul. They wanted Paul dead. The Jews wanted him dead. From the day that he converted to Christianity and he stopped killing Christians and, and putting them in bondage, that was the whole plan. And when they brought false charges against him for try, bringing in a Gentile into the temple, the inner courts of the temple, which he didn't do, and they took him to Caesarea, they really thought that he was on the road to uh, death. And technically, it, that was the start of that road to the chopping block. But you know, Paul wanted to follow God's will even if it meant into oppression because there was a time while he was in Caesarea that they were going to let him go. They, they couldn't justify the charges that were brought against him by the Jews. But you know what Paul did? The Lord had showed him in a dream that he was going to appear before Caesar in Rome. That was on his way to Jerusalem. The prophet came and said, you will testify in Rome. Paul knew where he was going. God had revealed it to him, and he appealed to Caesar. Because he was a Roman citizen, he said, I am a Roman citizen, and I appear, appeal to the court of Caesar to be judged. Now, the people in, in Caesarea said, we could have let him go. But since he's appealed to Caesar or to Rome, we have to send him there. And for a whole year, which it took a whole year for him to get there. He lived in bondage. But when you choose to go where you ought not want to go because you want to fulfill God's plan for you, it shows spiritual maturity. It shows insight on your part that even if God brings me down to the lowest pit of the valley, 
into the valley of death, I'm still not going to be afraid because of wherever I go with him, there's always life. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, believe that I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? You know, I, I, I like to say that at funerals. Matter of fact, I'll probably say it this afternoon at the funeral I'm going to be at today. I'm going to ask them, do you truly believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And though a man, if he be dead, can still live again. Because if you do believe, you will not fear the propensity and terror of death. Because Christ is life and he is the resurrection. And though a man be dead, a Christian be dead, in him he will live again. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, I got this written in my notes. Just remember, life does not always go how we plan it to go. Have you ever had a plan? <laughs> what does somebody say? Tell your plans to God, it makes them laugh. And that's really true. No, Paul's ministry did not play out the way that he thought it would. Excuse me, thought it would. Paul thought when he went to Rome that he'd have be able to preach in the Colosseums and uh, the places that he used to be. He'd have a, a pulpit to preach from, but really, that didn't really work out that way. He ended up living in a rented house tied uh, or bound by chains to his captors at night. <clears throat> and I want to share a personal experience with you. And I, <clears throat> I thank God for this experience because uh, it changed my whole life, the whole direction of my life. See, uh, when I got into ministry early, I had great ideas and goals, and I wanted to be a church planter, and I wanted to go to uh, cities where there were no church and, and start a church, and that was my goal. And I thought, well, I went to uh, Virginia, I went to Two Rivers, and I was able to start that ministry, but somewhere along the line, something happened. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but it involved us moving from one city to another. And we were all excited about our plans. <laughs> Me and Lisa, Jason, and a newborn baby that was still in the hospital in Two Rivers, we were all excited about our plans. This was a great opportunity, and in my mind's eye, I saw all these things uh, happening. <clears throat> But shortly after we got there, it all went south. It all changed in one day. I found myself without a church home. I found my reputation completely destroyed. I saw the doors of fellowship with my brethren close, and I felt isolated. And the night I received the news, as I was studying this yesterday, it was like I could see the picture so clear in my mind. I was, uh, after we got the news, these people left, 
And I remember going to the front window, looking out our bay window, and I was so discouraged because all my plans had crashed in one evening. And I looked out the window, and my wife was with me, and I said, God, what did you do? What's this? Lord, I trusted you. Now, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean to be forthright because I know you may have said the same thing in your past. I questioned God. This isn't in the outline. This isn't in the plan. I, I don't even have a church to go to. Why have you done this? And I was discouraged for a little while and I, I became a little bit of a prisoner of, of anger and bitterness but eventually, after I was able to pull up my bootstraps, I began to realize, you know what? If God is God, he's in control. And I am going to do whatever my hand finds to do until he brings about my purpose in life. And eventually, it was like all the windows of heaven opened up, and I got involved with a group of people in a little city called Plymouth, and we started a church there. We got a church and built a building. It grew, built a church, bought a church in Sheboygan Falls. And everything that we seemed to do was blessed. But I would have never got there unless I would have made the left turn and fallen at that, that one day. See, if I'm the prisoner of Christ, I have to acknowledge that even when my life is shattered, and all my dreams are voided out, that God is still in control, and he has a plan, and I have to trust him because I am bound to him and because I love him. I remember those disciples. They had a really good revival service, Brother Rick. I mean, it would be like one that we'd always want. It picture Jesus preaching, and the plates is backed out. And all of a sudden, he says something that somebody doesn't like. I am the true bread that cometh down from heaven. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. Now, up to that point, the disciples were getting a great offering. They, were, they had plans to build. They had all, <laughs> I'm just teasing you, they weren't going to build anything. But we would have. We'd have had a cathedral planned already. But when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me, that, they couldn't, have, they had a hard time handling that. And it says in scripture, from that day, many of them departed from following him. In other words, next Sunday, we have half the congregation. They all left. And so Jesus comes up to his disciple He's looking around and church is really empty that morning. And he says, well, are you going to go too? Why did he ask him that question? Because they were thinking about it. You know, we worked all this time to build this beautiful church. You get all these people and now they're all gone. Well, what's the use? And he says, well, are you going to leave too? But Peter, I think it was Peter said, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
In other words, there's no more decision for us. When I gave my life to Christ and I was washed in the waters of baptism and cleansed by his blood and filled with the Spirit, that closed the door to that decision ever again because I became the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's awesome to serve. He's awesome to serve. Now, let me go back to that story because it, it, it just doesn't end there. Uh, with the change of, of preaching methods and uh, all of a sudden my health changed too. Not long after that, I had a brain aneurysm. I had open heart surgery. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. It seemed one, one wave of physical thing after another hit me. Not minor things, but major things. And I used, I used to say, I'd say, and I felt really bad about it. I said, Lord, you know, there's more than just me and my family. I said, my brother's healthy as a horse. Why do I get all this stuff? And I felt bad when you went to the doctor and they said you had cancer. I said, oh God, I didn't mean that. But God was using those bad things because he had a plan for me. And his plan for me was going to go beyond just the ministry in a building. His plan for me was going to be a healer, a spiritual healer who the, for the dying and for the sick. And so in 2004, I, I got into hospital chaplaincy and so on and so forth. And I realized after I retired a couple years ago, <laughs> for a couple weeks, and everybody said that that was a record, that I realized that I didn't want to stop doing what I was doing. I told my boss, I said, guess what? I'm a chaplain. I know I'm a chaplain, and I love being a chaplain, and I love seeing what happens when I do my job, and I don't want to stop. But see, I had to go down into a place of physical struggle so I could have apathy for those that were there themselves. I had to taste the bitterness of suffering so that I could understand and have compassion on those that suffered. So the Bible says, don't think it's strange, the fiery trials of your faith that you're going through this morning. Because how do you expect to be a minister in the world, if you don't have a background in what you're talking about. You know, I, I love to hear people get up and say, you know what, I've always been in the church. I, I never had a drink. I never smoked. I never took drugs. I've always been here. And I'm really glad for them. But the person that's sitting in the pew that's been an alcoholic and smoked in their life and been divorced they, they have a hard time relating to that person because they, they, don't, they, they don't understand what they're feeling. Now, I'm not saying go out and get drunk so you can and understand the drunkard. I'm just saying 
If God has brought you from that area, if God has allowed you to go through that area, he wants you to use what you're trained in to help others. If you're a hammer, don't try to be a level because you'll mess it all up. Fulfill your calling. Make your connection. I'm learning with, to use my uh, iPad, and uh, so bear with me. It shuts off. I don't know how to keep it on after a few minutes. God's plans are better than your plans. And really, we, we really don't know what's best for our lives. We really don't. You think you do. You know why you don't know what's best for you? Because you lack information. How can you make an intelligent decision without information? It's, it's sort of like buying a home. I was watching, I like to watch that one show from the people in Waco, Texas. Uh, I forget their names, but I remember watching one show where this couple bought a house in Waco and they'd never even been there. And they were asking them to remodel it. In other words, what were their names again? The Gaines, the Gaines. So they came and looked at the house. They were, they were living in Asia. They were moving back to Waco. And when they got and looked at the house, they said, wow, this isn't what we, it looked like in the picture. The place was a dump. And I know the Gaines were saying, we might as well just rip the whole thing down and build a new one. And I looked at them and I said, that was kind of stupid. Why would you invest in something that you don't know anything about except from someone else's picture. So when God says, you can pray, and I may not give you what you want because your prayers may be wrong for you because you lack the information and knowledge of what you're asking for. So I guess what I'm saying, and I am watching my time this morning, is some of you are praying for things and you're wondering why you're not getting the answer because you think it's a really good prayer and it's a really wholesome thing that you're asking for. But God's saying, I don't want to compromise on the blessing that I'm giving you. I don't want to give you something less than what I've got planned. But you have need of patience. How many times do I use this verse? 1 Corinthians 13. Last part of the chapter. I'm going through one of those times when I can't, I'm under, can't understand why God isn't doing what I've asked him to do. And I know he wonders why I don't do what he asks me to do sometimes. And I, I'm praying and I turn to this and I said, Lord, if you could speak to me. And I went to the 13th chapter, the last few verses, and it said, and it's all I saw on the paper, cast not therefore away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. I know you've got confidence, and that will be rewarded. But then it says, but you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, after you do what you're supposed to do, done the will of God, 
you will receive the promise. Now the just shall walk by faith, but if any man draw back, I will have no pleasure in him. So what God is really trying to tell us this morning, remember to whom you belong, and remember that the things that you seek may not be coming in the manner that you're asking them for, but they will be in the perfect will of God if you're patient. And I think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's so wise. Don't lean on your own understanding of things. Don't lean on it because it's like a a broken cane. You're going to fall. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, I can devise the way, but the Lord will direct my steps. I, I, I would really be great in marriage counseling because I know all the cliches. I remember one day somebody said to me, you know, I've been so tired about the man being called the head of the house. I, matter of fact, when we have our wedding, I'm, not, I'm taking out that one part that says honor, trust, obey. And I, when the man says to me that he's the head of the house, I tell him that I'm the neck. And the neck turns the head. But let's put it this way, in the kingdom of God, I can devise the way, but I must let him direct my steps. Now there's a scripture that says the spirit of God will lead you into all truth. Is that right? So let him lead and don't make him follow. Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Again, what Jeremiah is saying, it's not for man to direct his path. It is for God to direct the the path of man. And I think that's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this morning. I think I've made my point. I, I just want to tell you that in the last couple minutes, I'm going to take two minutes to wrap this up, that some of you really get disheartened and things come into your life that you don't understand and you have battles with people and you're hurt. You have something happen where you're devastated and you can't understand people can do the things that they do, I want you to understand that God has his hand in all these things. And the things, the things that you thought were meant to hurt you and destroy you actually are the very things that build you up and make you strong. And I, I think Paul said it best. He says, when I am weak, yet am I strong, for God's strength is perfected 
in my weakness, when I am blasted and the world comes to destroy me, I should rejoice in my suffering. I should give thanks in all things, the Bible says, because the purification of God's will in my life prepares me for a, a mission that I could not have accomplished without the suffering. And if your will is to be all that God wants you to be, if that's what your, your desire is, be ready to spend some days on your knees and going through the heat of suffering and denial because who the Lord, who humbles himself before the Lord, the Lord always lifts up. That's why the Bible says if you go in and to a, a meal, always take the seat to the back. Because humility is always rewarded. Pride is always debased. All right, let's stand together. Now the Lord set you free to have a, uh, imaginations and set goals. And you can, if you want, you can try to figure out how you're going to achieve those goals. But I want you to understand that sometimes God will give you the steps of achievement and they may be different than the ones that you chose. Do it his way. It's always the best, his way. Now, Lord, tonight or this afternoon, Lord Jesus, I know that you have um, shown yourself mighty in so many ways in our lives. And technically, Lord, I can't think of a time that you ever really failed me. Even the things that were meant, I thought, for my hurt were, that were meant for my gain. So even when I felt I lost, Lord, I always gained. And so I pray that if there be someone in this congregation this morning that feels that they're oppressed and overwhelmed and they feel that they're, they're, they're wandering aimlessly outside the will of God, help them to realize that if they stay close to you and they trust in your direction, that you will show them where they should go and what they should do and you'll bless the work of their hands. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition. So this altar's open this morning. If you'd like Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.